listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Well, I need to congratulate some of y'all. Um, what a game. I mean, who would have thought the Gamecocks would beat Florida? I mean, really. I mean, what a game. Wow. Just kidding. Congratulations. May that last you another 26 years. <laughs> Go ahead and uh, turn your Bibles to 1 Peter 5. I'm a National League guy, so you know I was rooting for y'all, even kind of with my teeth gritted and, and everything. So. But I do like Freddie Freeman. He's a great brother, and so is Dansby. So I'm um, happy for those guys. I uh, just wanted to let you guys know what's going on next week. So every year we, uh, we support a project with Wycliffe. Wycliffe is an organization that... Uh, translates the Bible into mother tongues of people that do not have it. And there's still thousands of people groups that do not have the scriptures in their language. And so this is our fifth year of supporting a project where we as a church, as CBC, uh, supports a project and fully funds it. Um, And so we have done so far, I think, uh, go to the next one. We've done four projects so far that you guys have put the scriptures in people's hands that didn't have it. And these are the five group, four groups we've done so far. These are not real names because most of these are in hostile places of the gospel. And so we can't say, hey, we're openly going to, you know, uh, this place where, where Christians are being killed. Uh, this year is really the biggest project we have taken on so far. We have, uh, the people groups that we have supported up to this point have been about three million, million people represented in those things. And we have done those fully for the last four years. Uh, next Sunday, the entire offering and then some is going to go towards this new cluster called the Almas Cluster. Again, not their actual name, but uh, kind of the name they've given it. And it is a group of people in northern Africa. There's a lot of hostility towards the gospel, and it represents uh, something like five million people. Um, and so we are going to support, uh, uh, do this project that, that we're going to give, basically provide them 18 Old Testament books and 21 New Testament books. And it's a $200,000-ish project. So if it takes us two years, so be it. But Lord willing, maybe we'll, we'll do it in one year. And this is a people group that their literacy is very low. And so they actually, most people can't read. So not only will we be giving a hard copy, but we will actually be doing oral uh, copies as well, where they put it on uh, MP3 or they put it on the internet where the, the scripture is read so that they can listen because they're used to the oral tradition of story. And so we will have uh, these, these books of the Bible uh, online for them because you can't just get caught with a Bible in these places. You get killed. And so it'll be online and internet. And so it'll get access to uh, a large group of people that don't have the scriptures in their own language. And this is also a group of people that's scattered throughout Europe and in, even in Canada. And so it'll just be access to, uh, for a people to hear the scriptures in their own language. So it is an exciting thing for us. It's, this is a church that is thriving in this hostile place. They've had about 400 baptisms in the last two years in the churches there. Uh, it's underground. And so it's, it's an awesome opportunity for us, uh, for CBC, to partner with Wycliffe. They'll be here next week. It's also our Go Sunday, so you'll know. You can fi- find out information about any trips we're taking in the next year. If you want to go to Africa next year, you want to go uh, to Queens next year, wherever, uh, that'll be outside next week. And so there'll be opportunities for us there. So we, you know, you need to understand that when you guys give to CBC, we usually are giving out, and this is a great investment for us. The grass withers, the flower falls off, the word of the Lord endures forever, and we are uh, enabling people to have the scriptures in their own language, and that's a huge, huge thing. So we're excited about that. All right, First Peter 5. 
We are closing uh, out on this little book we've been in for 13, 14 weeks. You've heard the old saying, it was attributed to, to George Patton, but actually it was Thomas Paine in the 1700s that said it, that lead, follow, or get out of the way. Lead, follow, or get out of the way. Now, Patton was a pretty arrogant guy, so it had a little bit of a different meaning, but I would argue that it actually goes back before Patton and before Thomas Paine, and it goes all the way back to what Peter is gonna say today, right? He's gonna tell us as a church, lead, follow, get out of the way, right? And remember, Peter is writing to a group of individuals who are struggling, they've been facing opposition because they are now exiles, they are followers of Jesus in a culture that is oppositional to them. They have a Caesar who says he's Lord and then they have a savior who says he's Lord. And so it's put some tension in their lives. And Peter has just been encouraging them and coming alongside and trying to help them to persevere and help them to face all these trials. And we come to the end of this letter as he's closing out the book, he's going to kind of just give some final bullet points because he wants them to thrive. He's, he's shepherding them from afar. He's not in modern day Turkey when he's writing. He's in Rome, but he's writing to these folks and he's kind of caring for them and he just wants to see them healthy. He wants to see them thrive. He wants to see God move in their midst. And so he's gonna give them some instruction as he's closing out this book. He's gonna say, someone's gotta lead. Someone's gotta follow. Someone's gotta get out of the way. So let's look at what he says uh, in 1 Peter 5. And I think this conversation, Peter is a changed guy. This is 30 years after the Lord Jesus has gone back into heaven. And, and Peter is a completely different man than he was 30 years earlier. 30 years earlier, he's confident and he's bold and he's kind of arrogant. He speaks first and thinks second. He, he confronts the Lord Jesus. No, 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 you're not gonna go to the cross. He argues with James and John and the others, who's the greatest. He's so confident in his own ability, I will never fall away, Jesus. Everyone else will fall away, I will never fall away. 30 years later, he, he's completely different. There's a humility and there's just a care for other people. And what you see is his pastor's heart in this passage. And I think it's rooted in an incident that happened 30 years earlier. There's a, there's a moment in, in the Gospels where I think everything changed for the Apostle Peter. It's after the resurrection, Peter and the Apostles, they just go fishing. They're like, let's go fishing. So they go fishing. And after a long night of fishing, they're wrapping up and they caught nothing. And there's this guy on the beach, just a random guy on the beach just yelling, Y'all got any fish? And Peter's like, no, thanks for reminding us. He says, why don't you try it on the right side of the boat? They're like, who's this guy telling us what to do? We know we're fishermen, fine. They throw the net out on the right side and the catch is so big that they cannot bring it in and there's 153 fish, that's what the text tells us. And then the apostle John realizes it's the Lord Jesus. And as soon as Peter hears that, he goes all Forrest Gump and just jumps right into the water. <laughs> Clothes and all. And, and they're bringing in the boat and they're going the same pace as Peter who's dog paddling. And they're like, will you look at that guy? And they get to the beach at the same time and they run up and there's the Lord Jesus. And he says, come have breakfast with me. It's one of my favorite scenes in the Gospels. The glorified risen savior. And he's, he's made a little charcoal fire. He says, bring some of y'all's fish that I helped you catch. And he hands them bread and they eat fish and they have breakfast together. And you can just picture at the end, they're all stuffed. And they're sitting around this little fire at the beach. And the Lord Jesus looks over at Peter. And he says, Simon, 
And he usually calls him Peter, but now he goes back to his old name. And Peter's probably like, why does he call me Simon? That's what my mom calls me. Don't call me Simon, call me Peter. I'm Peter. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than the rest of these guys? Because remember, Peter said the night when Jesus was betrayed, if every one of these knuckleheads leaves, I will never leave because I love you more than anything, Jesus. And now Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me more than these guys? And that's an awkward question with all 11 of these guys sitting around. And Peter's learned his lesson. He says, Lord, you know that I love you. Not more than these guys, but you know that I love you. And a few minutes go by. We don't know how long. Maybe it's right away. Maybe it's 10 minutes. Jesus looks over him again and says, Simon, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I love you. A little bit of time goes by, and then he goes again. Simon, do you love me? And Peter, frustrated, says, Lord, you know all things. You, you know that I love you. And each time after he responds that way, Jesus gives him a command, a little bit different. He says, feed my sheep. Shepherd my lambs. Feed my lambs. He gives him a mission the rest of his life. And then he says, oh, by the way, in the end, you're going to die, and this is how it's going to happen. It's a very impactful breakfast. (laughs) The rest of his life and even his death is mentioned, but he gets a mission. Peter, your job is to tend, to feed, to care for my sheep. And that's what Peter is doing in this book, and especially at this last section, as he's kind of closing out this letter. Peter knows he's going to die soon. It's in the mid-60s. Okay, he knows his life is coming to an end soon. Jesus told him it was going to come to an end, and he told him how it was going to come to an end. So he's, he's got some last-minute things, and he's just going to tell them, tells them certain things. Someone's got to lead, someone's got to follow, someone's got to get out of the way, because he wants them to be healthy. And, and this is not one of those sermons, y'all, that is just like, Woohoo! This is an Easter text. Let's preach this on Christmas and let's invite our friends. But it is a critical text for us to understand what, what are we doing? How, how does the church supposed to function? What does it look like? Right? You're not going to get a thousand downloads on this one online. But I can tell you, if we, if we grasp these things, we'll be help, healthy. And we'll see uh, Jesus move in our midst if we would ultimately get out of the way. So let me read the entirety of our text and then we'll come back and unpack it and see who needs to lead, follow, and get out of the way. Verse one, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not dominating, domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. So he starts, and he says, so. That word so is the Greek word un. We translate it either so or therefore. Depends on the context. And so I don't need to tell you when you see the word therefore, you don't, you, what you ask, right? You ask what it's there for, right? And so he's linking back to what he just said. And what he just said was, it's time for judgment to come to us. It's time for us to struggle. It's time for us to face opposition. So in light of all that, in light of the struggles of life and all the conflicts and stuff, I exhort, I encourage. It's the word parakaleo, means to come alongside. It's the same word that's used of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's the paraclete. 
He's coming alongside. He said, let me come alongside and let me encourage, let me exhort who? The elders of the church. church. And I think it's important important at this point point to define define terms because we have a vast, vast difference in background in this church. I mean, we have folks in this room that never been in a church before until this church. And then we have folks that you grew up in a church and there was one guy, he was like the godfather and he had his deacons and they were like the mafia and they went out. And then you had guys that you, you were in a church and there was a guy with a collar and a hat and he called himself bishop or something else and he wore a robe. You're like, why does he wear a robe? I don't know, but he, he looks good in it. You have, we got all sorts of backgrounds here, right? And I don't want us to be a church where we hear words and we don't know what they mean because that's just church speak and that doesn't help us, right? So I need to, I'm gonna give you a little glossary. Remember the glossaries from like middle, they still have glossaries? It's a funny, that's my Yankee coming out when I say glossary, right? But let me give you a glossary um, of some, some words to define so you understand what we're talking about. The first word is elders. Okay, elders. It's the Greek word presbyteros. We get our English word Presbyterian out of it, right? Uh, Presbyterian church is a church that has elders, and that's why it's called Presbyterian. Um, so that's, that's it's not referring to the age of the person as much as an office, all right? In the early church, you had elders, and it's, it really goes back to uh, Old Testament Israel, they would have elders, right? Those who were kind of leaders of different tribes and different clans. And so in the early church, they had these, these folks called elders, and they w- were tasked with overseeing the church. Another word that's not in our text, but it's related, is the word overseer or bishop. It's the Greek word episkopos. You get our English word what? Episcopal. How many of you came out of the Episcopal background? A bunch of you. I know Anglican, Episcopal, right? You had a bishop who was over certain bishops, and then you had a chief muckety-muck. You have the Archbishop of Canterbury, right? You, you, you have a, a structure. Well, that's the, that's the word uh, that's used for bishop or overseer. And what you need to understand is the office of elder and bishop or overseer is actually the same. One of them is the title, elder. One of them talks about what they do. They oversee. And they're used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. Let me just give you one example. I can show you a couple, but let me just give you one. Paul writing to Titus says, this is why, Titus, I left you on Crete, so that you would put what remained in order and appoint what? Elders, presbyteros. And every town as I directed you, and you go down to the end, he says, why? For an overseer, a Episcopos, an elder, a bishop, must be all these things as God's steward. So they're used interchangeably there. They're used interchangeably in Acts chapter 20 when Paul's talking to the elders and then he says, you guys are supposed to oversee. It's the same office. I know in, in America, we've kind of you know, done these things, but it's just in, the, in the Bible, they're the same, right? Uh, elder, bishop, overseer. And then there's a third word, pastor. It's very American, right? Youth pastor, music pastor, children's pastor, whatever. The word pastor in the Greek is just poem, and it just means shepherd. That's what it is. There's no actual pastor word. It's just shepherd. So when they're, you know, the, angel, the angels show up at Bethlehem, they come to, not pastors, they come to poem and shepherds. Jesus says, and they strike the chief poem and shepherd, the sheep will scatter. That's all it is. It's, it's more of a, what they do, not who they are, right? And so those three titles... Pastor, elder, bishop, overseer, they're all the same office. They're the same. They just want, sometimes it's talking about what they do, sometimes talks about who they are, but they're the same, okay? And then you have other titles in the Bible. You have deacons, 
right? Which is diakonos, just means servant. You have what we in America, we say the minister. You ever heard, you know, some of you grew up and the minister was the guy in the robe. Minister is just deacon. It's the same word, okay? It's servant, right? So I think it's important for us to understand at least what the Bible is saying. But in the early church, what you had is the apostles would go to a city. They'd, they'd plant a church. They'd start a church in Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonica, Corinth, wherever, Athens. And they would stay there for a season and they would raise up elders, overseers, bishops. We're not real big on titles, and so, you know, people also say, oh, Pastor Bill. My name's Bill. Not Mr. Bill, Saturday Night Live. If you want to call me Pontiff, that's fine. But other than that, just Bill. No, just, because we're just normal guys, right? It, it's just, it's what we do, right? But understand, the early church, that's what they did. They planted a church, and they would appoint elders. And let me, let me make some observations just from Peter's in this text. Verse one, I exhort the elders. First observation, it's plural, it's a plural. It's not elder. You will not find in the New Testament a one-man show, ever. It is always a plurality, and there's multiple reasons. Accountability, it can't be about one guy's vision, one guy's this, one guy has all the power, because uh, it just ends badly. It always ends badly. So there's accountability, and there's a multiple plural elders, two or more minimum, right? Another thing he says here, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. This is, this is fascinating to me. Because here's Peter. Peter's an apostle. An apostle is Trump's, in that day, the early church, because they were the foundational people in the church. There's no scripture written yet until they're writing it. Apostles were here. And Peter could pull out his apostle card and say, it's like the Amex black card. Right, here you go, right? You have, you have your little chase, I got my this. No, he doesn't pull out the, the apostle card. He says, I'm just like y'all. Yes, I, I did witness the suffering of Christ because an apostle had to, but I, I'm just like you. I'm gonna be sharing the glory when he comes back. And, and a key point of elders is that they're equal. There's not one guy that gets four votes. This guy's more important. This guy says this and then, no, no. It's an equality. There's a fellowness and Peter is showing that he's, he's not arrogant like he used to be. I'm the, I'm the chief of the apostles. I'm the spokesperson. I got my name changed. Anybody else get their name changed? Nope, I got my name changed. No, no, I'm just like y'all. I'm just like you, right? That's, that's incredibly important. It's a team of men who are equally shepherding. And then the third thing is verse two, what does he says? Shepherd the, the flock of God, we'll come back to that, that is among you. It's the flock of God. This is not... Peter's church. It's not the elder's church. It's not Charles Swindoll's church or Bill Fowler's church. No, no, no. It is his church. It is his blood that was shed. He is the chief shepherd. He is the the one who did everything for us, right? Jesus told Peter, tend my sheep. The church bears his name. The church is filled with his spirit. That's, That's Incredibly important because the goal when we leave here is not for you to say, well, I just, I was a, that was a great worship service. That was great music. Fowler was, was funny. Great sermon. Great kids ministries. Great this, great that. That is not the goal. It cannot be. The goal is for you to walk away and say, man, God is great. God is good. 
He's a great God who loves me. He's a, he's a good savior who cares for me. That is the goal because it is his church. Now, the elders are to steward his church and they will give an account for how they did. Hebrews 13 says this, that they will give an account for how they shepherd. Right? So there's an authority piece, but they're under authority too. They will stand before Jesus and say, how did you shepherd CBC? First Presbyterian this, First Baptist this. All right, so that will happen, but that's important. But so here's the idea, is what he says. Someone's got to lead, who's got to lead? The elders have to lead. That doesn't mean no one else leads. All right, I'm not saying you guys just sit back. No, no, everybody here ultimately has to lead, whether it's you're at work or in the ministry you're in or your group or your, you know, whatever. Everyone leads, but if the elders don't lead, then it's a train wreck. So he addresses them because as goes those men, so goes the church. It's true on every level. You've seen this at your office. If your you know, boss is a knucklehead, everything falls apart. Your director is this, your teacher is this, your principal is this. So, but elders have to lead. And this will be super important for, for some of you guys that will, maybe you're a SCAD, Georgia Southern student, you're, you're gonna move at some point. You need to find a local church that is committed to passages like this, where there's a group of elders who shepherd the flock. Right? That's what you want to look for. Don't look for the greatest this and the greatest that or guy that's this or that. Look for a group of people who are going to take this seriously. So he says, I exhort the elders, and he gives one command. One command. Shepherd the flock of God. That's the only command. Everything else is how you do that, but it's shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, episkopos. Shepherd God's flock. Now, what does that mean? Because... Anybody here a sheep expert? Any, you know, we have some veterinarians, and, but anybody a sheep expert? You've studied sheep, you have sheep. We don't have a lot of shepherds here. It's, it's, a, it's a metaphor that we know because we're familiar with the Bible. It's church speak, but we really don't know, right? But they get it because they're agrarian and they, and they eat sheep all the time, right? And they live around sheep, right? So they get it, but we, you know, we just go to Publix. Yeah, we don't see the sheep, right? So let me give you three big things. There's a lot, but let me give you three big things shepherds are supposed to do. What he's commanding the shepherds to do. Number one, shepherds feed the sheep. They are required to take them to a field where there is healthy food. Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Good water, good food. It is the job of the shepherds to provide healthy meals, to make sure the sheep are fed. Paul tells Timothy, his little protege, he says, be diligent to present yourself approved as a, uh, as a one who is not ashamed of how he's handling the truth, rightly dividing the word of tooth. Paul says to the Ephesians, he says, I didn't, I didn't shrink back from telling you everything. I did this. Teach healthy doctrine, Titus. Teach healthy doctrine, Peter. It is the job of shepherds to teach, right, to teach to provide a healthy diet. That's, that's the job. Because if you don't, what happens? If the sheep aren't fed, they get sick, they're lethargic, they're tired, they get mad, they bite each other. It's just not a pretty scene. So he says, feed, Jesus says, feed my lambs, Peter. Feed them. And this is why we as a church are committed to pe- preaching through books of the Bible, predominantly. Once in a while, we'll do a topical series. But we teach through because it's a healthy Diet, because we not only want you to know what scripture says, we want you to be able to feed on your own. You, you can't rely on me. I'm, I'm sinful pastor man up here. 
Don't rely on me. You got to learn to be a self-feeder. And so when we teach through books, it teaches you how to understand books. And so that's important. And I am very grateful for the elders of this church. Since 2007, since we started this church, one of the commitments of the elders, even back then, was to provide time to rightly divide the word of truth, to say, you need to spend the lion's share of your time preparing for this. So whoever stands up here on a Sunday, whether it's me or Clint or someone else, they are given proper time to adequately sit in the text, to study, to think, to pray, to ask God to speak. To, where does the spirit need to lead? What is going on in the church? That takes time. Okay, we can't provide, we can't live off frozen pizzas, right? That's easy. Throw it in, get you a tombstone, comes out 20 minutes later. That's fine. You will, you will eat it, you'll feel good for a minute, and then you feel sick later. Okay, you need a healthy diet, and that takes time. Paul says, work hard at preaching and teaching, right? Uh, so that's what we do. It's one of the primary things we do. And it doesn't stop there. The elders are over what's getting taught with the kids, what's getting taught in college, what, what at the high school, making sure that it's healthy, make sure what we sing is healthy, make sure that we provide resources that are healthy. That's a big piece of feeding. Second thing is protect. Shepherds are called to protect. When there's a lion, who has to get in the way? The shepherd. And here's a myth that I want to dispel because it kind of frustrates me. You often hear, sheep are dumb. Just dumb sheep, moron sheep, stupid sheep. It frustrates me because if Jesus calls us sheep, you think Jesus is saying, y'all are just dumb and you need me. No. He is called the Lamb of God. It's not that sheep are dumb. What sheep do, though, is they, they have a proneness to do what? Wander. And when they wander... They don't have any kind of self-defense mechanism. It's not like they're going to do the crane technique at the wolf that comes up, right? I mean, unless their opponent has a wool allergy, it's over. (laughs) What sheep do is they tend to wander and then they group together, providing the enemy an easier target. Or if that guy starts wandering off in this field, everyone says, that must be a good field. And they just start wandering and they go off a cliff because they just, they just kind of tend to follow. So they need someone to say, there's a cliff, stop. Don't eat that, eat this. They need someone to get in the way when the lion comes with their rod and their staff that comforts me. And so it's a job of a shepherd to protect, right? To say, this is not true, this is true. That's a false ideology. You probably shouldn't date him. Right? I know that he has you know, great hair and, and everything, but yeah, it's, uh, you're going off a cliff there. Right? You, need to, you need to watch out for this and you need to make sure at work you're, you're not doing that. It's, it's, that's the job. And it's not always easy, but it's the job. It's also the job to, to call out false teaching. Right? Because it, true, like false teaching creeps into the church not because it's super evident. Right? If, if, if I came up here and said, all right, I have revelation from God, the new way to get to heaven is everybody stand on one foot, uh, say the alphabet backwards with an everlasting gobstopper in your mouth. You would say, that's, that's not true. Yeah, because it's clear. But false teaching is usually one or two steps away from the truth, which is why it's so tricky because the enemy, he conceals himself as an angel of light. So it's usually just like Satan does. What does Satan do to Jesus? He quotes the Psalms. The angels will catch you, Jesus. That's what it says. What does he say to Adam and Eve? Oh, God, God knows it'll make you wise. It did make them wise. That was 
partially true. And so error and truth are often this far apart and it is the job of the, of the shepherd to say, that's not true, this is true, and to guard. And Paul, Paul tells the Ephesians, hey, when I leave, wolves are gonna come in and try to tear you up. So elders, make sure you're guarding against that, right? Going after the wayward sheep. That's the job of the shepherd, to leave the 99 behind and go get that guy who keeps going off. And sometimes there's certain sheep that constantly, it's like serpentine. And that's the job of the shepherd to say, we're gonna go. And then thirdly, sheep, uh, the job is to heal, right? If a a sheep does wander and they get hurt, it's not, well, serves you right, Sean the sheep. You just sit there at that broken leg and we'll just let you think about it. And now you know next time you learn. No, they pick up the sheep, they throw it on their back, they anoint it with oil, they bring it back to healthiness and they bring it back to the flock. And then if they go off again, that's what they do. That's why the elders are commanded to pray, James 5, and, and lay hands on and anoint with oil for healing and things like that. There's just brokenness to come in and try to bring spiritual healing. And Peter is passionate about this. It's, again, this is his last words. He says, gotta do this. Shepherd the flock, exercise oversight. Right, do this. This is important. And the challenge for us is this. The early church, best guess, you know, in a church like Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonica, even Rome, you got 30, 40, 50 people meeting in a house uh, on, a, on a Sunday night. Uh, everyone knows everybody. Right? There's not first all, they got first Athens church and then you have second Presbyterian church of Athens and third Baptist of Athens. No, no, you got one church but everyone knows each other and it's very scalable when you have 20, 30 people in a church. What do you do with a church like ours? It's got on any given Sunday, 1,000, 1,100 people in this room, another 200 or so in the kids, 800 members. How do anybody keep track of that? That, that is the question. We're, the what, the shepherd, the flock, is not debatable. The how, there's some freedom there. So let, let me just tell you kind of how, some simple things that how we, as, as your elders, how it works here. Number one, this is why we do church membership, right? Because uh, there's no verse in the Bible that says, join a church. There is none. You won't find it. But what you do have is an understanding that there's a commitment to a group of people that you are going to run the race with, a local church. And so the, the Hebrews passage is a perfect example. Obey your leaders. He's talking about church leaders. Well, the question is this, which leaders? You're supposed to listen to, to Kenny Grant up at Calvary? Or how about uh, Anthony down at Beulah? Or Chuck Swindoll in Dallas? Or you know, Matt Chandler at the Village? Which leaders is he talking about? Tim Keller, New York? There's an implicit, there's an understanding, hey, this is the group of people I'm running with. And then also, if the elders are going to give an account, give an account for who? For every single person that's ever visited the church? I mean, you had your grandma with you last Easter. Am I supposed, are we giving an account for grandma who came in from Tulsa? Uh, that, that, no, it's those who were here. And so the reason why we do membership is not so we can have a role and count the role or whatever. It's so we know who are those we're responsible for caring for. You have a need, you lose your job, you're not going to lose your house because the church is going to come alongside because you're one of us, right? That's the idea. So that's one way. Here's kind of how it functions on staff. We have a governing elder board where there's nine elders. Eight of them are lay elders. They have jobs. They, they don't work at the church. 
And these are the, the men who guard the mission of the church. They guard the teaching of the church. They pray specific needs. They make the big decisions. Are we going to build over here? Yes. Are we going to plant this church in Richmond Hill? Yes. What are we doing? Are we going to support Wycliffe? Yes. They make those big picture governing decisions. They cast a vision. That's what the governing elder board do. They are, they are picked by y'all. Every five years, you nominate specific folks. We pray. We feel it, who's God calling to this office, and they serve a five-year term, right? We don't vote on them like, oh, okay, you know, we affirm them, yes or no, but that, those are your governing elder boards. They're the decision-making team. Under them, we have staff elders or staff pastors who typically oversee a specific area of ministry. College, boom. Worship, boom. Family ministry, Boom, high school ministry, boom. And these don't have a vote, so to speak, on the, on the governing elder, but they do have a voice because they go to them and say, here, here's what's going on. And they take care of the daily kind of shepherding needs, meeting with people, caring for people, visiting a lot of people. They carry out those functions because they work the job full time, right? That's what they're doing. And then we have deacons and we have directors and we have all sorts of other things that just carry out that. That's, that's kind of how we are oversight. And then we have... A big piece of this is our community groups where just physical needs are met. Prayer, you're in the hospital, you need meals, boom. You have a financial need, there it is, boom. We get, we have, the information gets passed up to the, to the elders so that we know so-and-so lost their mom last week, we need to pray for them. So-and-so's in the hospital, we need to visit them. So-and-so's struggling here. That, those are a huge piece. When you have this many people scattered out from, you know, all the way from Midway to Beaufort, it's a long way. Right, a lot of people. And so that is not perfect, but that is how the elders are trying to oversee and shepherd. Do they do it perfectly? If you knew how many mistakes we've made. No, they don't. Are they perfect men? Are they infallible? No. But they understand the significance of, this is not a business model. This is not Amazon or Amway. This is a people-driven deal. It's the souls of men and women. And, and it's, you need to know that your elders care deeply and they take it seriously. And they, they follow what, what Peter says. They do it willingly, right? They exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. This is not a job. They don't get paid. It's not a box to check. They do it willingly according to the will of God because it's a challenging thing. There's meetings, there's hard conversations, there's waiting, there's patience, there's, there's moving in here, it's dealing with significant challenges and, and, and messes sometimes. It is a challenging thing, but they do it willingly as God wanted. They do it eagerly and not for money, not for something that they get. They don't get a, you know, a t-shirt and a you know, slap on the back, right? They, they do it because they want to do it because they love y'all and because they love God. They do it eagerly and they don't domineer, but they prove examples. That's the idea is the idea is influence over, for, over control. And if you've been paying attention to the evangelical church in America, you have seen multiple instances of a domineering uh, uh, church that has blown up in the last couple of years, whether it's Mars Hill or, uh, or, or what's called up in Chicago, Harvest up in Chicago. And so the idea is not, not control. Control is from afar. Influence is from up close. Control is about domineering. Influence is about loving. Uh, influence is more, is more powerful than control. And so that's what, how he says, hey, this is how you lead. This is how you do it. And when the chief shepherd, and he is the chief, he is the only perfect one, when he appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I don't know what the unfading crown of glory is. There's a lot of debate. Is it a real crown? Is it just a, 
We don't know, but it must be good because Peter says it's, it's there for those who have served faithfully. But the idea is you're accountable to the chief, right? And, and, and if you're ever in any leadership, you know this, you have to lead according to that which you're under, right? Leading is not a popularity contest. That's called politics. They say, statistically speaking, at any given time, 20 to 30% of y'all are mad at something about something in the church. And if that's the case, I'm not tuning it back on the Braves. I don't care if they won, right? But the idea is you can't lead by popular vote. You just can't. It's just dysfunction. Too many cooks in the kitchen. You've heard that phrase, right? You need one cook. You need Chef Ramsay. Ramsay knows what he's doing, right? And, and that's the idea. You can't have everyone, well, I think this, I think this, I think this. It doesn't mean voices aren't important, but it does mean in the end, God holds accountable these group of men. So he says, elders, they have to lead, right? Otherwise, uh, it's dysfunctional because as go the elders, so goes the church. Doesn't mean anyone else is not leading. It just means that has to happen. Then he says, someone's got to follow. Who's got to follow? Everybody's got to follow, ultimately. Do the elders have to follow? They have to follow the chief shepherd. Do I have to follow? The elders tell me things all the time. You need to do that. Do I want to sometimes? No, I don't. In fact, I had one elder in the first service laughing when I said that because he knows. He laughed out loud and embarrassed me and that's fine. But sometimes I'll be like, Fowler, you need to take care of that. And I'll be like, I don't want to take care of that. I know you don't, but you have to do it. Everyone's got to follow, right? Everyone has to follow. But here he's going to pick on one group of people, right? He's going to say, likewise, you who are younger. Now, who's younger? I don't know. I'm 47. I feel like I'm younger sometimes and sometimes I feel like I'm older. Why does he pick on the younger people? I think because things haven't changed in 2,000 years. Who are the people that are most likely going to say, why we got to do that? Why do I got to eat my vegetables? Why do I have to make my bed if I'm just going to sleep in it in 12 hours? Who are the ones that are going to most likely do that? Probably the younger. Not always. But who's the one that's going to, you know, the 20-year-old who's going to read a theology book and think now he is John Piper and that he should be speaking at passion conferences? It's the 20-year-old. And so he's going to say, hey, appreciate your passion. Just, just listen sometimes, right? Just listen sometimes. Don't be so impulsive. Don't be so impatient. I know that you could take the world and do all these things. Just trust your leaders, right? And... Why that's important is because we, just by nature, me, I mean, you know, COVID's been a great example of this, we follow when we agree, right? If we agree with the rule, I got no problem with the rule. If I don't agree with the rule, I don't like to follow, right? No, I don't need to do that. And what he's saying is, you, it's not about agreeing. You don't have to agree. Sometimes you just have to follow, even if you don't agree, and that's fine. That's life, right? It doesn't mean leaders are infallible. It doesn't mean they're perfect. It doesn't mean they make great decisions all the time. They don't. But in the end, people flourish when there's authority and God has given authority as a good thing. We looked at this in chapter three. The government is meant to be good. Its authority is meant to be good in all levels. Your principal, your teachers, your parents, it's meant for you to flourish, and when, when there's chaos is when everyone's bucking the system, when there is, there's flourishing and healthiness when people put themselves under the authority that God's ordained. And that's all he's saying. All of us have to follow authority. He's just saying, hey, young folks, just, you gotta learn to follow, right? And then one day you're gonna be the older 
and then there are people who are gonna be following you, right? That's true for the home, that's true for the office, that's true for school, that's true for your community group. Someone's gotta lead, someone's gotta follow, and someone's gotta get out of the way. Who's gotta get out of the way? All of us. Everyone has gotta get out of the way. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you. Anyone not covered under the all of you there? All of you. Clothe yourself with what? Humility towards one another. The others are more important. The get out of the way is your preferences are not the most important thing. Your positions are not the most important thing. Getting what you think you deserve is not the most important thing. Others is. Humility, right? Jesus, Philippians 2, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a Rebbe, made the likeness of man. And he tells you why it's important. Because God does what? What's that word? Opposes. Opposes the proud. Do you want God on the other side of your, of your team? Do you want him as your opposition? I don't. I don't want him. I've seen that, how that works for Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar and the Pharisees, and you can go down the line. He says, I'm opposed to the proud, but I give grace to the humble. Anyone need some grace desperately in your life? And the the beauty of this passage is this. God is not looking for the most gifted, the most holy, the most privileged, the most intellectual, the most experienced, He doesn't need experience. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your talents. He doesn't need any of these things. What he's looking for is a few people that are just saying, I need need God. There's a dependence. He says, I'm gonna put all my effort and strength behind that. I'll be opposed to the gifted and the strong and I'm gonna get behind the weak and the humble. I'm opposed to the proud. I give grace to the humble, right? So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, the mighty hand of God. He is a mighty God with a strong hand. Why? So that he will at the proper time exalt you. And then he tells you how. Here's just a practical application. This is how you humble yourself, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We usually take that as a new command. It's actually not a new command. It tells you how you humble yourself. You cast your anxiety on him. How many of us wake up at 11, 1, 3, trying to figure out how am I going to handle this? What am I going to do about that? How am I going to control that? How am I going to deal with that situation? You're worried. You're worried about that. You're worried about this. I care for the lilies of the field. I feed the birds. Cast it on me. You're worried about something you have no power over? He has power over it. You're worried about changing this and changing that? You can't change? He can. You're worried about something that's so overwhelming and you you can't figure it out? It's no big deal for him. He says, cast it on me. Because what you're doing is you're saying, I need you. I need you to move. I need you to act. And he gives grace to the humble, right? And sometimes that grace is in other people in this church. Sometimes grace is in something else. But that's what, he, that's what he's looking for. Someone's got to lead. All of us got to follow and all of us got to get out of the way. And again, not one of those like, wow, man, Easter. You didn't preach that again on Easter, Fowler. That's, a, that's an Easter message. 
It's not. Church polity. You're not going to, you go Google it. It's not exciting, right? Not going to go get any thrills. But what is going to happen is if someone leads, we all learn to follow, we all learn to get out of the way, we'll have a people that, that like each other. We'll have a, a place where there's humility, where people are looking for the interests of others. And that's a, that's a joyful place. Angry places where everyone's fighting because they don't like the coffee or they don't like this or they don't like the music or they don't like, that's an angry place. Nobody wants that. And God's like, I'm not in that. What I'm, I'm in is a bunch of people that say, God, show up. God, move. God, do something. And he does. That's what Peter's cry is for them, right? Elders would lead. Everyone would follow. And everyone would get out of the way. And we'll see God move. We'll see God direct. And we'll see the love of God taken not only in Savannah, but all the way to North Africa with Wycliffe, all the way to Europe with trips. We'll see him move. If nothing else, here's what I would encourage you with this morning. Your God loves you so much. He cares about you. He brought you today. He cares about your soul. He cares about your life. Just that last phrase, cast your anxiety on him. He cares for you. I know some of you don't feel like that this morning. You feel like if God cared, then why is fill in the blank? Now you need to know that God cares for you. How much? He gave his most valuable possession, his own son. He gave you his spirit to be with him forever. And he promises eternal life and eternal pleasure and eternal joy with him when you put your faith in him. That's how much he loves you. And the circumstances around you, this has been the book of Peter, they don't determine God's love for you. What God did in Christ, that determines God's love for you. And you need to hear that and you need to know that. And it's, if you need us to pray and encourage you with that, that's what we're here for. We want you to be encouraged by the love of God for you this morning and forever until he returns. So let me pray. And we'll sing a few songs and then we will go out into the bitter cold this morning. Father, thank you for your love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that we were all like sheep going astray, everyone to his own way, but the Lord laid on him the iniquities of us all, that you are good and that you love us and that you care. Uh, And that at your name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every one of us needs you. Every one of us needs uh, to humble ourselves under your mighty hand uh, because you're so good to us. And so help us to do that. Help us not be arrogant as a church or as a people to think we have done something we have not, but to look to you. It is for your name and for your glory and for your fame. We're here and we live. It's in Christ's name I pray.